I'm Tony Gargan and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. Hello and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast with me, Tony Gargan. And today I am absolutely honoured to bring to you an absolute legend, Jan Mulfate. He is a global strategist. He's a coach of executive Olympic Games winners, an author of best-selling business book, The Positive Leader. We'll tell you where you can get that. But in addition to that, having a personal mission that is to help individuals, organisations and countries around the world to unlock their human potential, Jan has so much to give proven track record in building and leading really successful teams which he acquired through a lengthy 22-year career at Microsoft Corporation. He's been in so many different roles within there and his last role with this huge tech giant was Chairman Europe. So I am honoured to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for giving up your time today, Jan. Thanks, Tony, for having me. Thank you. We've, um, those people who don't know, we in the background, we've worked tires, tirelessly to get Ian on the podcast. We've had loads of tech issues, but we are here and up and running. So for those people who don't know you, and I've got to know you through, you know, the medium we've we've both yeah. to love, which is Clubhouse. Um, and I absolutely love your open way that you teach and support, that you are constantly giving value to people but without fear of um, holding people to account or without fear of pinpointing where people are making mistakes and putting them on the right path. So tell us a little bit around, you know, how you got to where you've got to, to the heights of your career and to now be, you know, an international speaker. Tell us about you. Yeah. Uh, You know, I used to be professional tennis player, right? Up to my 19 years age, I was playing, you know, professionally, I am two years younger than Ivan Lendl, who was, you know, number one. He's also from Czech Republic uh, originally. But then I decided, because I love so much computers, I decided to go and study, uh, you know, electronic computers, basically, at that time, uh, 81, right? Which was like for five years. And I stopped my career, but I do sport all my life, okay? Then I work in the public sector at the Ministry of Interior for two years before, you know, what we call in Czech Velvet Revolution, the old changes happened in uh, 1989. And then two years after the Velvet Revolution, I was even like, you know, promoted. I was like officer or whatever, but it was starting to be very boring, you know, right? And I was drafted by uh, the local, you know, startup. So before I worked for Microsoft, I worked for two years in startup and the name of the startup was Software 602 where I was uh, marketing and sales director. So I learned a lot how to, we were growing like from five people to up to 200 people during those two years. So how to scale organization really, and how to develop software, how to produce software. We're still copying software on, you know, plastic diskettes at that time. It's like 30 years ago, right? And then, then it was interesting because the first offer from Microsoft, I refused. I said, I'm not going to join you. It was in January 93. And Microsoft very rarely would give you another chance if you would refuse. But they still did in uh, in June 93. And then I joined in August 93. And I stayed there for 22 years. It was a very long career. First, I was working in Czech and Slovak operation, I was like having different sales and marketing roles. Then I was a country manager. And then, and I was a key, I was for five years, you know, running Central and Eastern Europe. And we were four years in the row, best performing region worldwide when Microsoft was biggest company on stock exchange. It is like winning Olympic games four times in the row. And it was not only in terms of the profit, revenue and market share, it was also in terms of the customer and partner satisfaction and employee satisfaction. So I really believe in sustainability and, and, and why nobody did it before us, nobody yet after us. It was a unique in the history, in the history of, of Microsoft, right? And what I believe, why did it happen? Uh, because I believe that you know leadership is not about what you have on your business card, it's about how many people are gonna to follow you even if there are very tough times. So I brought a slogan into the organization. We were like 2,000 people, right? I brought a slogan, be more of who you are, okay? I said, 
let's be better version of ourselves every day. It's kind of the growth mindset. And we started to use what is called, you know, strengths finder test from Gallup. So we tested everybody in the organization. We said, this is who you are. And this is what we, this is your job description. Let's talk about how you can use who you are in order to achieve what we all, you know, want, right? And suddenly that organization I took over was 10 years in the row, like, you know, uh, average or even below the average. Suddenly when we changed the dynamics, when everybody was able to use their talents, they were four years in the row, best performing organization in the world. And, and it, at the biggest, you know, company. Since that time, I did it many, many times in Microsoft and afterwards in different organizations. So I really believe that in that unlocking human potential, because if people do what they like, if they have an emotional connection to what they do, the chances are that they will be in the flow. Flow are moments when you do something which is quite tough for you when the challenge is high, but you use your best talents in the flow. And if people are in the flow, according to McKinsey, which is a consulting organization, people are 500% more productive. They are learning 450% faster and they are 400% more creative, right? And now the question is, why is that? Because all, if you are in the flow, all senses are involved and it's, it, is the, it is the future of leadership, right? Make sure that your people are doing what they like and are using what they have, because the talents are like, it's a genetic information. Once you figure out what are your genes, you know, or like the talent genes, you can work on that and develop those talents, right? There's a, the last thing I wanted to say, there's a study from Shell. I, I used to work a lot with, with Shell in the past. I was, you know, vice chair of organization called Academy Business in Society, which was like association of large businesses and large business schools, right? And, and there were, you know, uh, Shell was there also represented. And Shell did recently study and they asked big question, what does it take to be among, you know, top five companies in the world for 200 years? And the only long-term competitive advantage they could figure out is your ability as organization to learn fast. That's why I'm saying those organizations which will be able to unlock human potential they will move fast and those will be the winners of the 21st century. So I, I really do believe in that, you know, model. I use it many, many times. And it is my, in, everything is in my best-selling book, the, the Positive Leader, which was published by the biggest, you know, publishing house by Pearson, right, in, in 2000, uh, 2016. Now it's like in seven languages already. And it's not about positive thinking. Positive thinking is important. Positive leadership is something else. Positive leadership is about finding what is best in your people, put your people together. There's, so there's a synergy. One guy talents are, you know, covering the other guy weaknesses and the other way around and inspire people. Inspiration means in spirit, right? If you inspire them by the vision, what is the vision? Vision is the picture of the world, which does not exist yet, but you believe in that picture. Bill Gates told me when he said, Computer at every desk, 1975, nobody believed him, you know, right? But then people started to believe and he changed the world. The same with Steve Jobs, the same with Gandhi, right? So uh, those are the things. So that, that's kind of the, in, the, in the nutshell, you know, right? What, what I did in Microsoft, I was then running public sector, which is, you know, uh, like governments and education and stuff like that for almost three years. And for eight years, I was a chairman for Europe in Microsoft. Uh, and uh, obviously at that time, it was a very successful period for Microsoft, but we've got also uh, this antitrust case with the European Commission. So I have a lot of experience how to handle, you know, regulators also, right? For two years, we were trying hard to settle the case and then it happened. And, it, and I think it's a good example because we started as kind of, the, we didn't believe each other when we started with European commission to negotiate. And we ended up, you know, Microsoft could pay up to the 11 billion euros fine because of that. We, we paid like 2 billion and I became in 2011 advisor for the higher education for the European Commission. So we absolutely changed the dynamics, right? So successful career, but there were also, I learned a lot from mistakes, but the biggest failure which happened in my career was my depression 2011 and 2012, 
where I was for like six months out of my job. And for three months, I was in the mental hospital. I, I almost died. It was a very bad depression. Uh, now, basically, the question is, why is that? Because I absolutely love my job, right? And people should understand you can still be depressed even from the things you love. Because if you do something you like and you are very often in flow, things, those hormones like, you know, uh, serotonin, dopamine, you know, endorphin are released. And other chemicals during the rest are supposed to clean your brain. If you don't have enough mental rest, you are not ready next day. And then, you know, cortisol will start to, you know, uh, be released basically in, you know, your brain, in your body. And my depression didn't start as a problem with my brain. It started as a problem with my body because the, the, the pain, the mental pain is somatized in your body. So it started as a pain in my stomach, in my back, and so on. And then I collapsed, basically, right? Uh, fortunately, you know, I survived it. They found after like four different, you know, attempts, they, they found, you know, some good chemicals, I mean, antidepressants, which helped me, and I recovered. Uh, but what is clear that people in the business, like me and you, sometimes we underestimate recovery. I have a lot of, as you said in the beginning, I have a lot of athletes. Some of them are, you know, Olympic Games winners. Recovery in sport is the part of the process. If you are not able to fully recover, you are not able to basically perform well. But we are in business. We are underestimating recovery in a big way, you know, right? Even sometimes we are saying, hey, that guy is wimpy. He needs to have like three weeks of the vacation, whatever. And that's bad, right? In the past, people were like hunting, having a rest, hunting, having a rest. Now we are hunting, hunting, hunting. And then there is a burnout of, or depression. So we need to be very careful. I was not having enough. I, I, I was having enough, you know, physical rest, but I didn't have enough mental rest. And that was the reason why I failed. I learned a lot. And I was like, thinking when I left, you know, mental hospital, I was like thinking, what should I do? And I said, no, I'm going to be open about my depression. And I, I, I was, it's, it's even in my book, but you know, every, everything bad is, uh, you know, it, whatever is, that's what Nietzsche, Nietzsche was saying, whatever is not killing you, it's strengthening you. And that depression strengthened me because I learned so much about my brain, how your brain behaves if you are absolutely down. I learned a lot how your brain works if you are really a winner, the champion, right? We have this at the you know, clubhouse, the, the winner's breakfast. So that's the, that's the winning brain. But when your brain is basically betraying you, you know, when your brain is not with you, and that's the depression. And the, the problem with depression is that you stop to believe in your own recovery, that you will not recover. That's the problem. That's why people are basically passing away by the suicide or stuff like that. This is the reason because they are they are not able to believe anymore that they will you know recover. If you break your arm or your you know leg, you believe hey it will take some time, but I will recover. But if you have you know depression, uh, that's not necessarily the case. So that was the that was the huge learning in my you know life, and, uh, and obviously. Uh, based on that experience, I created, you know, different models, how to work with the stress and, and for my athletes and for the, for the executives. But uh, there's still a lot of managers who I think underestimate the, the rest, who thinks that, you know, they should manage the time, not the energy, right? And the energy is so much important in your life. Wow. Like I have written reams and reams of notes and those who sit and listen to my podcast. <laughs> who watch any of the video clips will know that there is reams and reams of notes. You have achieved some phenomenal things in your career, in your business, in your life, and your humility shows through. And I think that's what makes you so attractive for people to listen to. Not only that, but sharing as well as these highs, because we do pedestalize people, you know, when people reach the caliber that, that you've reached, you know, you are pedestalized and one of the things that I think, um, you know, I'm very grateful to Clubhouse because we wouldn't have met other than that is that ability to lead that you still do day in, day out. You do it with your athletes, you do it with your executives, but you do it with, you know, Joe Blogs off the street and that ability to lead. And I loved when you said that leadership isn't, you know, what's written on your business card. It's having people follow you through the tough times. 
and for you to share, you know, those not just tough times, but, you know, potentially career ending, life ending times that you faced. You come across as this happy person. You constantly have great energy, you know, and I think there's so much that we can pick up on there. And there's loads of parts in there that I want to touch upon, like your marketing and sales experience, how you were able to identify your own talents to then pinpoint them in other people. As many of our listeners who are brand new to any form of presentations or any form of public speaking have those, you know, fears or those voices in their head that say, oh, you can't do it or there's people more experienced than you. So in order to f- for you to identify in the many employees that you've supported, their talent genes, as you called it, and get them to understand who they are, what they're great at, and be more of who they are, which is one of your you know, famous tags. How did you first identify that in yourself? Because the challenge of going from you know, professional in your field as a tennis player, at a really young age, getting to that level, and then having this whole pivot completely somewhere else, it shows your mental resilience is what I see from a really young age. So First question, I suppose, is how do you identify your own talents? And then secondly, how do you then support other people to identify? You know, you know Tony, what I, where I think I'm good, whatever I learn in one field, I'm able to move it and use it in the other field. Okay, give you one example. In tennis, you play, it doesn't matter. You, you know, you can win much more balls, but if your opponent will win the last ball, he's still the winner, okay? So the, the first thing I learned for the life, you play till the last ball. In Microsoft, I was telling my people, you will not, you know, uh, celebrate if the money is not on the account. If the money is on the account, let's start to celebrate, okay? <laughs> that, was, no, that was it, you know, right? So that's, that's one point. The other point is, in tennis, you are on your own. And in in your life, you are on your own, you know, right? Those people who will allow other people to define them, who they are and who they are not, they will not live their life. The the world is full of the copies, but only only originals are writing the history, okay? The world is ready to pay for exotic original, (laughs) you know, but not about perfect copy. Copies are copies. They are not original, right? And this is it, you know. So it, it to play till the last ball, and you are, you know, on your own, you know, you decide. And then the last point I learned in tennis, the time between the balls, the time when you're not playing, is as much as important as the time you are, you know, playing, right? Because if you watch, I, I coach, you know, some really top-notch, you know, uh, tennis players. And if you watch, for example, Rafa, or Djokovic or Federer, they are able to forget immediately about the last ball because if they would not forget about the last ball, they would not be able to concentrate on the current ball. It's about we are not living our lives in the past. Past is gone, okay? You can learn from the past. You win or you learn. Those are two, two, Somebody said it today at the, at the Venus breakfast, right? So you, you, you win or you learn, but it's gone, right? Future is not there yet. Why we call, you know, present, present means here and now, but it means also gift because we have nothing else. We have only a couple of present moments. That's why those, you know, champions are able to get into the present moment and stay there and play one ball after the other. This is it. Look, I am the guy who was, I was living in the village up to my 20 years of age in a small village in Czech Republic, okay? And then suddenly after 10, 12 years, I was sitting opposite to Bill Gates, who was the richest person in the world, and Steve Ballmer, who was number three in the richest person in the world. And they were like, you know, reviewing our numbers, one number after the other, like one day, two days, whatever. So I needed to concentrate one number after the other, one present moment after the other. That's what I learned in, in you know, tennis, right? So that, that's that's one thing. I, I think you call it maybe analogy from one, you know, area to the other. And then obviously what helped me a lot, I, I work for more than 20 years now with Gallup, you know, Jim Clifton, who is the CEO of Gallup, is a good friend of mine, we really do. Now I speak next week or the week after the next, I speak at a, a day global summit, Satya Nadella will open it, the, the Microsoft, you know, CEO. And uh, 
and Gallup, they have a test called Strings Finder. And that test, you know, is based on their research, basically. And what they figure out that talents are basically genes, it's genetical code, and that code is unlocked, you know, by the activity. So more you basically exercise your talent, you are getting better and better, right? And my talents are like strategic thinking. This, you know, program is about communication. So I have a talent on communication. I have a talent like futuristic. This is like visionary. I'm activator. It's about, you know, energy. And last but not least, I'm like my first talent is maximizer. I will explain what does it mean. Maximizer is the person very demanding from himself or herself, but also demanding from the other people. But I have ability to find what is best in each and every person. That's according to the Gallup definition, not that I would be that like, hey, doing that much marketing. And that ability is really helping me. I learn, look, my view is if you wanted to play in the Premier League, you would not learn, you should not learn from the people who are playing regional competition. You should, you should pay money to learn from the Premier League people. Today, you don't even need to pay money because there is a lot of on YouTube. If you don't have money, you can, you know, write like the, the, the masterclass, whatever, it's on YouTube. So I really learn from the best people. And obviously it started, I had a, you know, ability to, you know, work 10 years with Bill Gates, you know, right? So that was, you know, it's like, if you have this this kind of the class, it's uh, it's easy. But that's kind that's kind of the my mindset thanks to the maximizer and that's what what I recommend to the other people so I was always looking what is best in each and every person and trying those people to put together give give you one example if somebody is like strategic that person is looking on the world like from the helicopter going from top down if somebody else is analytical, that person is building from bottom up the whole, you know what I mean, right? The whole, and those are like two different, you know, views. You need to have both strategic people and analytical. I'm, for example, not great guy on an execution. I can execute well, but I'm getting bored, right? Yeah. My talents are mainly like, my talents are like strategy and basically, you know, create strategy and, you know, have a vision and stuff like that and influence people, make people crazy, right? This is it, you know, right? Uh, but I'm not great on execution. You know, they show me there is a, one of the biggest plants in for Hyundai in uh, in the world, uh, close to uh, close to Ostrava, which is one of the biggest cities in Czech Republic. And they show me the plant. And I said, every 54 seconds, there's a new car. And I, I mean, I like it, right? But I would never work there because it's so much like, you know, rhythm, automatic, right? I like new situations because I'm the curious guy, right? So th this is what I do. This is what I did really like, you know, make, you know, this, the, the strategy, seeing the opportunities, have a vision, and basically make other people crazy, right? Inspire them. This is it. And, you know, inspiration is something different from motivation. Today, I believe today, you need to motivate people like on the salary, bonus, whatever, right? The results. But motivation is gone very soon. Inspiration can stay there <clears throat> for a whole uh, time because in spirit, in Latin, means in soul. So if you do something you like, you know, right, you have a big emotional connection to that activity, you then the chances are you will get into the flow and then you have a team flow because if everybody is in the flow and, and they are inspired and there is a common, you know, denominator called vision, right? We believe in that vision. Like when, <clears throat> when Bill Gates said, uh, computer at every desk, we were totally aligned behind that, you know, vision. And then you you move you move not only people but you move the whole planet. That's that's my belief, you know. Again, so much in there, and what I love about you, Jan, is your humility in the like. You know, I sat opposite Bill Gates for ten years. That's like world class stuff, you know. And your ability to um, showcase an analogy and put it into everyday life, you know. Oh, if you're talking about Rafa or Djokovic or Federer, and it's like these are all people who everyone aspires to be. Like, yeah, I'm going to be meeting Jim Clifton. He's a really good friend of mine. And to know, I think, is massively, and we talk inspiration, and I'm a huge believer in what you're saying, you know, inspiration and motivation are completely different. And to be inspired is a hard part. Motivation can be kind of given again and again and again. Um, 
but I, th- I find it really inspirational from you and for anyone who's listening, you know, for someone to, to reach the levels that you have to say, well, I'm from a really small village. You know, I was focusing on one path. And- oh, look, I was, uh, I was, uh, I, I finished Czech Technical University. I was almost fired in the first class. I was almost fired from there. <laughs> all like, all my, you know, direct reports, they were having like Stanford, INSAT, you know, Imperial College, whatever, you know, MIT. I never, I mean, I did some courses later on there, you know, and now I'm teaching there, you know, my, my, I'm doing, not teaching, but doing presentations, but it doesn't matter, you know, Richard Branson, he never finished the secondary school, right? It, and I, and again, I think, you know, education is important, you know, but education is something different from the titles, you know, right? I mean, right. If, if you have like, you know, degree, it's good. I mean, don't take me wrong. It's good, but you don't need today. You can get, you know, educated from the best. Just, you know, be on the clubhouse or, you know, uh, watch the YouTube. If you read, look, if you read a book, if you read like biography of uh, Steve Jobs, it's probably 40 years of the wisdom in 10 hours. You know, you can get it in 10 hours. You know, that was one of the top players in, in top industry, you know. The same with Elon Musk, Bill Gates and others, right? So always be getting this education and this knowledge. And there's lots of things that I want to pick out of there because you come up with so many phenomenal quotes. Um, Talking about being the only, you know, only originals are the ones changing the world. It's not the copycats. And, you know, all of the time, especially when talking about people delivering presentations and pitches, is that there are systems and... Yeah. Yeah, because... Yeah, because what, yeah, because Tony, what I'm saying, if you, for example, if you wanted to really inspire people in your presentation, my belief is you need to have a high self-awareness. Be yourself, you know, right? Be authentic. Because the first language, it's not what you are speaking, but it's a body language. And if your body language will basically say, hey, this is some, you know, personality and it's in harmony with her, what he or she is saying, that's fine. If it's not the case, there is something we call in psychology incongruence, you know, right? In 17 milliseconds, your audience will figure out it's inauthentic, you know, that guy is not, right? That's number one. Number two, it's your story. If I would go and say, hey, my story is I worked with Bill Gates, everything was fine. I was one of the best managers in the world all the time, fine, you know, but, but that's a boring story and that's not a real story, okay? The, this story, nobody believes. If you are growing all the time and no problems, nobody believes in it. This is the boring story. The good story is up and down, you know, right? And exactly. So what I, if I speak about me, I'm speaking about the case when I was, for example, going to train in the, in, in the, in the hall during the winter. I was going two kilometers to the train station every morning, like four o'clock in the morning, you know, right, to get, you know, train and, and so on. So there was not, and, and the same with my depression, I was very, you know, open and honest, because I think that's how you are getting the heart, because people like, like underdog story, you know, right, and they, they like also fuck ups, you know, right, because you are closer to the people, a lot of, a lot of managers, they think, if I will show vulnerability, it's not good, no, it's good, it's good, because the other guy will say, hey, you know, I'm not alarmed in this shit, you know, right? <laughs> he got it through, right? This is called grit that you can go through it, right? Uh, right. So, and I, and, I, and I think it needs to be really authentic. And last point, you need to have in mind, it is not about you, it's about your audience. Because communication is not about what is the unsane. Communication is what people will do after I will finish. If they, look, if the people will, you know, move at this needle after this podcast, at least do something, you know, I'm done. It will be fine. You know what? And those are like small things which can happen in, in your life. You, you said that I, I look and f- it looks like I feel very happy. I'm very happy. Because I do something, I mean, I'm making other people happy through something I love. And this is my, my, look, coaching is something I was always doing, even in Microsoft, and like mental coaching for athletes. And I'm like, I'm only nervous today if my athletes are competing. Otherwise, I'm like, my brain is on alpha level and everything. Now, if they compete, I still feel like, hey, I'm with them, right? So this is it. So if you will make other people happy through something you love, this is the, I, I think this is what is called happiness, right?
you know, right? And it, uh, give you one, uh, give you one example. What recently happened, like two months ago, somebody from Instagram because I do Instagram live. Some lady sent me Instagram DM saying, "Well, you know what? I'm afraid to deliver, you know, baby. I think it's a very painful experience. And you know, would you would you mind to share, you know, something?" I said, "Look, I never did it, right? So I I can't tell you. But but I gave her I gave her like a couple of meditations and yoga nidra and breathing exercise. And last week she sent me uh, the picture. She was there with a the newborn baby. I was like crying. She said like." I'm like, my baby is breathing, I'm breathing, and I started to teach the other ladies, you know, right? Your techniques, you know, right? So it, it can't be any better. It can't be any better, you know, so this is it. I'm going to reiterate what you've just said there because I think, you know, within every answer is a masterclass. And for those who listen regularly to the podcast, it's a reiteration of something that we say again and again and again. So I teach people public speaking and I love the fact that you have elevated yourself to these levels. You're delivering you know, presentations on a huge level and still following the same principles. So number one, being authentically you, total self-awareness, being more of who you are, owning who you are and sharing that. Love that. Point two, story. We focus so much on telling stories and absolutely that. We want the hero's journey. No one wants the lifestyle or the everything's always really boring and from that it's that roller coaster that you put in there the highs and the lows sharing with vulnerability to build the connection and point three being service i talk so much around you know you're not on a stage you're not delivering a podcast for you as much as i get enjoyment from this i learn from this i do this because i want to help and support other people and that piece of making others happy through something that you love is key I believe that you can give a presentation, a pitch or a sale, even sell a product or service around absolutely anything. As long as you believe in it, you do it with authenticity and that there is, you know, you, you connect with it. You're emotionally connected. And something else that you touched upon when you talk about the body language and how, you know, immediately from the smile on your face to the relaxed shoulders, to the energy when you're talking about something that you're you're really enjoying is it comes down to, so I forever tell people, you don't tell, don't say it, show it. You could say something, no connection, but you show it. And, you know, that influence to make people crazy, I am totally and utterly stealing that and giving you recognition for it. Make people crazy, that's what you want them to do. You want exactly, in a good sense, obviously, crazy. You want people to be whooping and hollering and cheering, totally believing in it because you do. And I think by you being as you are, that kind of high energy and, and the low energy when it's needed when, to make that connection. Sure, no, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. No, you- because there's another mantra of mine, which I really believe in, and I like rational people, right? But, but what I'm saying is that rational people are usually right, but only crazy people will change the world, you know, right? Only people with the energy who are really like crazy, who see things the other don't see, right? And on the, uh, Tony, on the, on the, on the presentation, a couple of more like how the chemistry works, how, do you, how those hormones work in your brain, right? It is good if you start your spiel, if, if you start your presentation, to get attention of the crowd, okay? You can make, what I do, for example, I'm making joke out of myself. It's some, you know, stupid thing. I'm, for example, in some, you know, place, I'm like, hey, here I was, and this is what I screwed or whatever. That's how you get attention, right? It's about dopamine. So your audience will get, you know, dopamine. It's like, hey, this is maybe something interesting. Maybe I should listen. So they are getting dopamine shot, right? Then you, if you will start to speak and have a good, you know, you can still put the facts into your story. And if it's a good story, you may get your, you know, audience into the flow and endorphin is released. And if they are in the flow and if you are like speaking and if you are delivering this story, what is happening? Um, if you will only deliver the facts, it goes to the short-term memory. It will be gone very soon. Okay. It's like chemical change in the brain of your audience. If you deliver the story, there is something they call it neurons, which fire together, wire together. There will be structural changes happening in the brains of those people. I mean, on the neuroplasticity, it makes a lot of you know impact, right? Be- because we, we learn best 
or through the story. You can teach history. Those are the dates of the battles. Or you can put those dates into the whole story. And that's how, you know, the neurons, the, your, you know, uh, brain cells are connected through the synapses. And that's, that's when the structural changes are happening. And they will remember you as a speaker and they will remember the speech. Okay. So that's, that's the story when they are in the flow. And then, you know, they will start. They, there is a good, you know, uh, atmosphere. So the serotonin is released. You are like a team. You are a team. I'm always like my best speeches are when I feel as a part of the audience, as a team, you know, right? And last but not least, if there is this, 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 this end and you are as a team, they will trust you, whatever you want to sell them or, you know, influence them, doesn't matter. So it's about oxytocin, right? So they will learn something. They will, you will be like part of the team and they will trust you. So chances are they may, you know, invite you, uh, you know, or, or maybe book some seminars with you or other other things, right? But this is how it works. I this it, it is relatively, you know, easy uh relatively simple it's not that easy but if you train and try to every time do better job this is it but the story is clear people are like if you if you have presentation it's, it's only about facts uh after five minutes you are losing your audience you know right um, and you can and, and some people are like hey can you can i jump from one thing to the other absolutely because you are the director of the show you know right who cares? Because some people are saying like, hey, what I did, if I don't remember my speech, I said, I never remember my speech. My every speech is a bit different, you know. But that's the part that makes it engaging and honestly. Exactly. Everything that you're saying. You need to put like a couple of points which you would like to deliver. What are the key messages, right? Key messaging. This is it. And other than that, how you will deliver it, you can shape it. It's a different, you know, delivery if there are like, if the average age is 20 years, as opposed, you know, 70 years old in the in the audience, you know, right? Because you you, you probably will not use that many, you know, technical terms if it's, the, especially like with, from the IT and stuff like that. So you need to be sensitive to your audience. So um, what I am loving, Jan, is that you are, I teach it in a system. I teach public speaking in a system and everything may have different names, but we always talk with starting with a grabber, something to grab the attention. Yeah. So yours, you know, your humor or your self-deprecation or a little bit. Of, and I've watched videos on YouTube and every one of the speeches, there's always that. Then that, but for me, the science behind it, I think will really help people to understand. So again, yeah. I'm and give you credit I will be telling people that's the point where the dopamine is released then the facts the content and content as you say can be really really boring so it's how you make that stick in people's mind and that facts will sell an idea but sorry facts will tell an idea but that stories will sell it people will buy it into their minds and that changing of the structure love that leading to you being a team that trust becomes vital whether that is you want with your message or as you say it leads into the product or the sale because many of the people that we teach around public speaking have a product or a sale to offer in terms a product or a, a service to offer in terms of selling or if not they're at the very least selling an idea selling a concept which you've done many many times to your employees but that ability to adapt to your audience and that phrase of you are the director I think that shows how in control you are of your delivery because you've done some huge presentations. So um, I'm really conscious of time. I don't want to eat into too much of your time, but I'm loving this. So if you're all right going, I've got some more questions. Is that no, okay? Sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Don't worry. You have delivered many, many presentations to lots of different types of people, both in the sport world, in your you know, high-level executives, through to your coaching mentees. So my question is, what is the best pitch or presentation, the thing that comes into your mind where you are at your happiest, it gave you the best feeling, is the one that sticks in your mind. I'm sure there's tons, but is this one where you just think, that was my, I was on top of my game, that was my best presentation ever? It's funny because it, I was not alone because my first athlete I used to work with is David Svoboda, who won Olympic Games in London 2012 in modern pentathlon. That was my first athlete. And once David, you know, retired from sport, he's now coach, right? Uh, we started to teach seminars called uh, Unbeatable Mind, the Iron Mind, okay? And we were, we were having, you know, presentation for 
some pharma company, like 500 people. Uh, I would say 70% women, the average age probably like 30 years, you know, and and 30%, you know, men. And we started, like, we started seriously, you know, some uh, stories about Olympic Games, what I did with Bill Gates. But we then we started to make a joke from one to the other. And it was like theater, you know. They thought that we were prepared for that, but it was very spontaneous. You know what I mean, right? And we, 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 they invited us a couple of times, you know, more. It was fascinating, you know, right? It was like impro, impro theater, you know, right? We, we were like improv, a lot of improvisation, you know. But you, you, you need to, I think what you need to figure out whether your audience is ready for such kind of the thing, okay? And we, we try, we would, that was like, okay, we test it. And we saw, hey, hey, this is it. They really, they are happy. So we started, we, we started to do it. That was like on the, on the funny part. And then probably one of the best was like in front of 4,000 people in Atlanta. We used to have, uh, it was called Microsoft Global Summit, like 20,000 people from sales and marketing. And then there were, there were like regional breakout sessions for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And I've got, the, and we were supposed, like the regional leads, we were supposed to like deliver some speech, which was okay, but then then do something, you know, absolutely out of the out of our you know, comfort zone. And I was I was dancing rock and roll, and it was like they stood up, and everybody was like. <laughs> And, and they love it so much because they were like, oh, this is it. He's really not like, you know, average, average. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the very serious guy, right? You know, it was, it was funny because I was like, absolutely, I was like in the jacket and some, you know, uh, trousers, uh, right? Then I put that jacket, you know, out and my uh, shirt out. And then I was in the T-shirt and I started to do like rock and roll. That, that was the best. And and kind of the interesting interesting thing was uh, I was in uh, it was not like public speech but it was interview uh, on CNN and I was in the, I was in Paris on La Défense in CNN studio and Richard Quest was in that's quite famous you know journalist he was in London right and and Richard was supposed to ask me you know some questions but the director of the show said this is gonna to be really big there's like 110 million people watching the show and I was like oh man oh man what is that and I was I was like nervous you know but you know they were very professional they said look you are one of the best for the startups in Europe so it's between you and Richard whatever is happening behind camera don't worry. And when, you know what, Tony, I realized that it's really a lot of people are dis distracted by this, you know, motivation. What if I screwed up? If you concentrate on what you like, I like to speak about the startups and whatever they will do with it, it's up to them, you know, right? That was it. I've got a guy, 11 years, Pavel was the name of the guy. 11 years old, old guy was playing violin. He was playing very well at home. Once there was like 100 people, he was not able to play at all. I said, Pavel, do you like, you know, playing violin? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love to play violin. Okay, I said, you need to switch in your brain. Those people, they, they come to see you, how you love, you know, to play violin, right? Whether they are like 100 people or 1,000 people, doesn't matter. And we got, you know, a couple of trainings and he, he absolutely changed. And I, I met him, he's like now 16 years old. And he said, I, I have no more fear because I like, I, I beat my fear through my love to that, you know, uh, activity, playing, you know, the, the violin, right? And it's the same. If you, are, if you are fearful of your audience and you love the subject, what you speak about, this is it, you know, right? And, and uh, what is also helping me if I am able, well, I, you know, uh, contact as much as I can with the audience, but if I'm like able to see my audience a couple of minutes before, I'm like, hey, those are, I'm like in my brain, I'm like, those are all my friends. They want to, they want to, yeah, the team, they want to help me. We are one team. We are here to perform. Everybody, they, they perform because they cut the hands and whatever, you know, right? So those are like a couple of, you know, tricks, but obviously, one presentation again, because I would go only like whatever I did well. One presentation, which was like 
for the first time, and I don't know, 98, 99, doesn't matter. In Brussels, 1,000 people, huge crowd. And my brain, there was a one guy in the audience playing with the phone all the time. And my eyes were all the time on that guy. And what my amygdala, what my you know uh, emotional part of, brain, of the brain did, nobody is paying attention. There was one out of the 1,000, okay? One promile, okay? And it was like, nobody is paying attention. It's probably not good. And it was not the best presentation. Since that time, obviously, if there's somebody like that, I go immediately somewhere else, you know, right? And you know those tricks. But be very careful because your brain, your, your brain is having something which is called negative bias. So you can spot something negative six, ten times faster than something positive, you know, right? Because that's the, that's the difference between the, the speed of your emotional part of the brain and rational part of the brain. I mean, they sound like the best presentations ever. And, you know, even your your demeanor and your body language when you talk about it was just you and David doing this presentation and it was like everything falls into place and you'll get that sometimes, that presentation where your energy, you give out to the audience, but they feed it back. And when you get that back... You know, Tony, that, that was another thing because uh, David, I persuaded him. He's a, he is a very handsome man. It's like he's a... what. 24 years younger than me. It's like 35 years older. And he was in the competition dancing with the stars. You have this competition also in UK. So he's also, he's famous as a, you know, sport guy, as a, you know, athlete, but he's also famous, like, you know, and they like him. They like him, right? But I was like making the jokes because they said, they were asking like, did you prepare mentally, David, for the, for the dance? I said, absolutely. I spent like three, four hours with David and his dancer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this was not the case, but anyway, you know, I, I did, I did, I did work a little bit, but it was funny because when they were competing, he was he was okay dancer. He was not great dancer. They were better dancers, but David, because his Olympic games, he didn't give a shit. He, he said like, I don't care, you know, right? It's fine. And then he was very popular. So I was every. Every Saturday, you know, there was like competition and they, they are like sending SMS, you know, they are like voting, right? So I was like on Facebook, Instagram, hey, vote for D3. D3 was the David code and, and Veronica. Veronica, she she won twice already, you know. They were they were sad at the at the end, but it was good. But anyway, so we made those, you know, jokes. <laughs> that ability to play on the situation. Oh, yeah that through to you know great presentations where you're having fun so your audience are having fun and that ability to surprise that I think you know the ability from the shirt and tie or the you know smart right. t-shirt dancing rock and roll it's just not expected in the role no. that you're so the unexpected absolutely to then doing huge presentations and practicing what you preach, you know, telling Pavel at the age of, you know, 10, 11, whatever he was, that, you know, you love it. So you do it for you and your audience will follow. And you showcasing that yourself when you're on CNN and thinking those little voices. And I think that's really inspirational for people who are just starting out to hear that, even though you, you know, already have this amazing career, those little voices still attempt to yeah. get. Yeah, no, and I, I'm, I'm a, bit, a little bit, you know, crazy guy and I like it. I like to have fun, you know, right? <laughs> Be more of who you are. That's what you need to absolutely, do. Absolutely. And then, you know, you enjoyed it, focusing and concentrating on what you love. Oh, like there is so much in there that people can learn from and put into practice. And the one thing that will continue to show through is your ability to be humble, to enjoy the process. Yeah just go with it and, and that's something I think everyone can take within their presentations um I'm going to ask you one more question uh, you must have been interviewed you know a million times for all of the different aspects of your businesses and your coaching so the question I'm going to ask you is this what is the one question or the one subject that no one ever asks you about that you'd love to share what is the one question that you'd love to give the answer to that no one's ever asked you you know what? There is a, because I have a radio, I have a radio talk show uh, in the radio Z, you know. And the one question I'm asking, but nobody asks me, I'm asking people, hey, we will launch the rocket, okay? 
And on the rocket, you can put, you know, some slogan. And that slogan will be visible from all parts of the, of the earth, basically, right? <laughs> and, and you know what? <laughs> I invited, uh, I invited my, one of my tennis players. She's 15. She's really good. Nikki, uh, Nikki Bartunkova. She was number one in, when she was 14. And now she's like in the junior category. And she's, she is playing. She's the youngest on WTA tour, 15 years old, right? And every, everybody is saying like, you know, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to do that, that, putting on the rocket. She said, she was not thinking at all. She said, once I will be number one in Nikki. Love it. <laughs> once I will be number one, Nikki. <laughs> you else and no one has ever asked you is it on your oh, yeah so what i what i what i what i would put on the on the rocket i would put probably be more of who you are because you know if you understand who you are only then you can understand who you can be you know right it's like alice in the wonderland you need to understand when you are where you are to understand where you want to go right and so much so that people are even putting it on T-shirts for you. So it's on the T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plan is to get it put on that rocket, and I am all over that. Jan, it has been such a pleasure to interview you. So much fun, so many lessons. Like I don't even think we've scratched the surface. There's definitely a part two to this to follow on. Absolutely, I'll be more than happy to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to thank you, thank you for Tony for having me. Well, very welcome. We will get all of this information put into the show notes. But also, if people, because you do a lot of um, really valuable free content um, on many different social media platforms, so where is the best place for people to learn a little bit more about you, what you do, um, see some of your content and potentially look to you for coaching? I have a, I have a web, janmuhlefeit.com. It's both in Czech and in English. I do content in Czech and in English in Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and I will do now uh, much more, you know, content on uh, LinkedIn. But like I have like twenty people, twenty thousand people following me, and it was mainly I was doing posts, but I will do also live sessions more, uh, more in English. Because to be honest, I con- during the COVID, I concentrated at the beginning more in my like local language in Czech. To you know, uh, before the clubhouse, right <laughs> now, clubhouse changes uh, everything. So now, now there will be more balance. But there's a lot of information in English on my you know web, and there is a there is a book uh, called you know the Positive Leader. People can uh, a lot of things which you know we talk about are in that book. Yeah, absolutely. So get the book, follow Jan on all his social media, and there is a, a minefield of, of information. It's picking out which parts to implement first because there's so much there. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode of Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking, and we will see you next time. Bye.